As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. It's the best place to get a review of the weekend's football action. And uh, it's where we debate all the big issues. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week I am delighted to be joined in the studio by uh, former Premier League star of many clubs, James Scowcroft, uh, the excellent Alison Rudd, and the football expert, Julian Lawrence. This week we'll be discussing some of the nuances of tax in football and trying not to make it completely boring. We'll be reviewing Manchester United's Mkhitaryan-tinged renaissance and talking through the rest of the Premier League But obviously, there's only one place to start, and we need to do it with a whole load of king power. Okay, so Leicester and Manchester City, this is the first time in Pep Guardiola's career that he has has conceded, or his teams have conceded four goals in back-to-back games. I'm going to just tee it up very nicely for you, Scully. Is this just simply evidence that he's never been in a competitive league like the Premier League and he simply can't handle the intensity of the Premier League and he's been found out? And yes, I hope you detect the sarcasm in my voice, please. I think you're being a little bit over the top being found out, but I think he's he's very stuck in his ways, isn't he? He's not going to change. He won't change forever. One, one well, of the he best changes things, the formation almost every yeah, week. Yeah, but changes <laughs> the, his outlook and his philosophy and his possession football, and yeah, which is great. And it's what he believes has brought him a lot of success in his career. What I would say, and someone some football up, very, very simple to me years and years ago. Football's two parts. One's when you've got the ball, one's when you haven't got the ball. And they're equally as important, 50-50. And with the ball, I, you know, I think he's a genius. I don't think anybody can touch him. I think without the ball, he's very, very poor, Pep. And I think he, he has to. If he's going to be a success in England and Man City are going to be a success, they have to improve out of possession. Here's the thing for me, and I take your point on that, but having read a lot about Pep and having spoken to the guy in the past and met many sort of Pep fans, I would submit to you that he would say, were he here, that actually what he does out of possession is the secret to his success. Because the high press that, you know, when when they go out of possession, they try to win the ball back immediately in the final third. And that's what he does. That's at the heart of why they create so many chances. That's only a tiny little margin, no gab, isn't it? You're talking about pressing high in the final third. No, he's talking about, not me. Well, you're talking about him pressing the final third. What are you going to do in your own half? What what are you going to do when they break that press and they're at your back three, back four, back two because your full backs are so high up and this and you know how are you going to solve that problem? Well, he would say that my pressing creates so many chances at the other end that it doesn't really matter, and that's how he plays. But listen, I take I'm I'm playing devils. I'm telling you what he would say since I'm assuming nobody's going to sit here and defend him. I think. So well, he does. It has brought him one, a lot the of one success. Thing, and, and to be fair, someone tipped me off about this early in the season, um, and we all laughed. And someone said, "I think Man City might finish fifth, and we should have listened to him at the time." And that was your good self, wasn't it? Yeah, amazing. <laughs> I didn't want to go there, but thank you for bringing it up, um, Alison. It strikes me that I mean, going on, on the back of what James said, that football is a low-scoring game, right? So if you do press high and and, and play the way that they do, and you leave two or three guys exposed at the back. Either they're like freak super athletes like he had when he played Alaba and, and Kimmich and, and Boateng back there at, at Bayern and they, they, they just gobbled everything up. Or you need to have a very defined system. You can still leave three guys back there, but you need to really work on the defensive movements and whatever. And maybe he does, but it looks to me like Collar of Stones and Sanya were not prepared for the Leicester counter in the least. Well, yes, but... I think you rewind a little bit and ask why why he 
played that formation and that style of football at the King Power in the first place. In the Times on Saturday, there was a spread and devoted to why Leicester were struggling, how they'd the way they'd played for most of last season and, and towards the last end of last season, most teams had, had worked out if you leave any space behind your defence, you've had it because of the pace and their ability to soak up and soak up and not care about how little possession they had and unleash the Vardy or whatever. And it, and this is accounting for Leicester's problems at the start of this season. Where's their plan B? It was as if, it was as if, I mean, it was as if Pep did not bother watching how the Premier League was won last season. It was startling. You, you, it was the template for exactly how to give Leicester a chance to get back to what they were last season. So your problem was with the high line? High line, lack of, complete lack of respect for what the opposition could give you. It was as if they just did not, not, not know that there was pace in like those Leicester ranks, nor strength. It was it was very peculiar, well, and then and then mid midpoint between the two goals that were scored early on in in the game, they started to readjust, and he was shouting at them, and they went uh, from three at the back to four at the back, as if oh that might make a difference, uh, but they still pushed up. It was it was is that I I wonder if there's a form of arrogance there that he wants to play the way he wants to play, and he doesn't care who the opposition is because what matters is his philosophy, and that he. He doesn't. He's not one of these managers who goes into a game thinking, "How can we break down the opposition or stop the opposition scoring?" He goes into a game thinking, "I have a way of playing, and it is so superior; it will overcome whatever the opposition can throw at us." I, I, and this I, was an, a prime is example. Fair? Is prime that fair example. when he changes his system so many times and he moves his but players why around is the he pitch changing the system? To, to adjust so that he can get an edge? So, I mean, listen, he's not crazy, right? He's not playing this. You can, first of all, the, the word arrogance that you know. It's, it's the other arrogance side. isn't a bad thing. That's the flip side of It isn't, it isn't a bad okay. thing. It isn't a bad thing. But, but you can take it, it slightly too far. Well. It can be, of course. But from Pep's perspective, though, he could easily make the point that I play this way because I believe it works. It works over time if executed properly. And actually, this brings me on to another question. I, I, I want to throw it to you, Julian, because he was asked after the game, um, and I can't remember if it was on Match of Day or, or, or Sky, but he was asked, so defensively, is it the system, or is it, or you think, or the tactics, or the individuals? And he says, no, it's not. It's not the tactics, and it's not the individuals. Then, of course, he didn't say what it was. Can you elaborate? Because, I, to me, to me, like I said, you either have to have a system. You can play that high line if you have players who are suited to that. Not if you have Sanya and Kolarov who are both pushing thirty, who aren't center halves, and the guy in the middle is Stones. Who's, who's 23 and, you know, still, I think, learning to play at that level. You also have Zabaleta, who doesn't really know exactly what he has to do un- until they change to f- back four and then he goes back to right back. But I thought the, the, the system and the way he wanted them to play was a bit hard to understand from the start. My issue with it is, and, and I think Alison put it perfectly in, in the piece, especially in the intro about City, you can't just, you can't just turn up and think you're going to win the match. That's, it just doesn't work you really like that. You think it's that? I really do it. I, I think the, the the line about the tackles. What's tackles? I don't coach tackles. Come on, you I can't. You can't. You can't be. No, really. And I know you're gonna disagree with me. No, no. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. You that. can't win a match without defending. It's impossible. And yeah. right now, and Leicester on Saturday, they didn't defend. What? They were nothing about defending. The, no one trailed back. No one covered. It was one v one at best. When it was not two v one. There was no defensive thought whatsoever in the performance. They. I mean, I think he would say again that they do defend. And by the way, before people go and say, oh, why do you love Pep so much? No, I'm just trying to put the two sides no, so we can have a freaking debate here, right? Other than just sit around and all nod and agree. No, but I love Pep as well. I love Pep. I think but, he's a genius no, as well. I, I think, I mean, I, I, I'm led to believe that his thinking um, on this occasion is, A, they do defend, but they defend high up the pitch in this business with the tackling. And this is what, it, what I thought was so disingenuous, what he said when, when he says, well, you know, what's tackling? I don't train tackling. I'm like, of course you do. You have your players go and press the life out of the opposition. That's what these people do, right? They, they, that's what you're doing when you're pressing. You're trying to tackle and defend against the opposition so you can win the ball back. I don't know why he said something like that, which makes no sense to me whatsoever. But I think his attitude is that actually, even when you have a 2v2 or whatever, um, the chances of the opposition scoring are smaller 
than the chances of you scoring because you have better players if you can win the ball in the final third. Then how come he hasn't realized that he doesn't have a back Kimmich and Boateng? That and he to has, me is... See, and then you I adapt. Then you, you adapt. I then you, you adapt. Know. This is what blows me away, Scully. I, I mean, it's been three and a half years that Chiki Bagiristein has been at the club, right? He's the director of football. He comes from Barcelona. He was a director of football at Barcelona. He knows Pep inside and out. He was Pep's teammate for many years. This is what I don't understand, what is mysterious to me, which I would I don't think you'll get a straight answer out of Pep. Presumably, Bagiristein, who's a former footballer, right? A, he understands the game, and he understands what Pep can bring to the game. He understands Pep's brand of football, and that's why he brought Pep to the club. And he must have had conversations with him when they when they were planning who they were going to sign in the summer. Pep, how are we going to play? You know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. At some point, Pep would have said, hmm, you know what? I think I'm okay with Kolarov and Clichy and Sanya and Zabaleta uh, and the Stones boy who we're going to get at the back. I think I'm going to be just fine. At that point, would Bagiristein not say, Pep, are you sure about this? Because I see these people every single day and they're fine defenders and they're good mm-hmm. pros. But for what you're trying to do, Maybe they don't fit. It's, 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 isn't, yeah, that, isn't that on him? Isn't that the job of a, of a director of football, is. technical director? It is, I understand that. But it's the flip side of that saying, OK, but it's not always easy to go out, all oh, right, we're going to go and sign three players and going to be better than what I am. You know, that that's... Well, they, signed, they, 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 they signed two players. Well, I, if that's the case, then what you do is maybe you don't play that system if you don't have players to do it. But secondly, they went and they signed, you know, players like Gabriel Jesus, like Sané, who hasn't played very much, like um, like the other boy, was it Matos, whatever? Well, he hasn't he's come yet. Yeah. He comes from somewhere in South America. I mean, surely, that being the case, you could have at least signed one guy, right? It's not like they didn't spend money this summer. You know, they've got some talented young players coming through as well. They might be just thinking, well, we'll plug that gap for a year. And, and I, I think... But these guys haven't played either. Yeah, we talking about like Maffeo and You don't see what happens behind the scenes at a football club. The targets they might have, they might have a centre-back or a left-back, a right-back target, might be available this summer. So instead of going out and thinking, well, we'll get him, but we're going to have to sign him for £20 million, give him a four-year contract, but the player we really want is going to be available next summer. So, you, you know, you don't know. I wouldn't look too right. much into that. It's, you don't know. Okay, but then all the more so then if you if that's your plan, then surely you still want to finish top four this year. Surely you want to implement your system. Surely you want people to believe in your system. And if you're leaking goals in stupid ways, then that's not helping you, right? So then maybe you play a slightly different system? Possibly, but it worked at the start of the season. The first two months, we wouldn't have sat here and had this conversation, would we? They always looked a bit dodgy defensively. Even but they kept the clean always, shape yeah. all season. So, so. There, were, there was always an issue there. Whether you, But there would be games where they won't need to turn up defensively and they will win. It's just that Saturday, especially, like Alison said, when you knew... And I do believe it doesn't work very much on the opposition. And the players are not sure much of the opposition either before a game. And you know when you, when you prepare a game, you... You, you do a lot of video analysis, what well, you can, where you show what you want your team to do, but you also what the opposition is about and how they play and who you're going to face. And the players you're going to face is, is, is usually does this and does that. He comes inside or he goes outside. He's got this, he's got that. I don't think he does much of that. And and defensively, you knew exactly how Leicester were going to play. And and, and right. Do you think, uh, and I'll ask you through this because it's not me, do you think you, you lot in the media overhyped the Manchester Pep Mourinho thing and everybody's overlooked the rest? Again, you're talking to somebody who put, to an expert. Who, put neither, yeah, who put neither United nor City in the top three spots in his Premier League preview. So, um, but no, look, it, it was a big, it, it is a big story. It, but his CV is there. He plays but a different shot down at the start of the season. Oh, you know, this is a Premier League. Oh, don't be, he knows what he's doing. He's a, he's a, he's the best. This, this, that, and the other. I think he is one of the very best in the world. If you can say the top two, the top three. But what, what you're what, judging but, it on? Well, he he's he's rethought the way the way he plays. He's evolved because he had what, the best what, players in the world to do. Yeah, that. that's fine. But he he didn't just have the best players and won. I mean, you know. Carlo Ancelotti had the best players and won. He had the best players and won, and then he continuously tried to evolve his style to go to another, to another level. He was actually quite humble in the way he continued to do that. He did it at Bayern as well. There's a lot of merit to that, but I just think the, the, these things are bizarre. And I think part, part of our cu- this match was a complete mess up. All right, can we give some credit to? The 2015-16 Premier League champions as well. A lot of credit. 
Now, I want to ask you, Scully, about this because it's my understanding, I think it might have been reported, that there was one of those players-only meetings as well at Leicester. Have you been part of that? Do those things work? They work all the time. They, they certainly happen. Um, when you're going well and when you're not going well, the manager will often sit down a team. I would think most Premier League teams will have a weekly meeting. Uh, and if it's not going well, I think sometimes those meetings go on a lot longer. Um, and I did read some quotes in the week that uh, Claudio... Ranieri set his players down after the the midweek defeat, and I think improvement needed, which it, it it did need to improve. You know, their league form has been poor, considering what they achieved last year. And you just have to be careful, don't you? I think they were getting a little bit too close to the bottom three, and I think maybe a few home truths, maybe a few of the the key players last year. It's astonishing. I'm a massive Vardy fan, but you know the goal drought he's been on, you just wouldn't have you know put him down to that, especially the, you know the way he took his goals at the weekend. But maybe now the Champions League is over for a few months, they might be able to concentrate on the league. Well, na- oh. now, now the Champions League is over, only now is Ranieri saying, yes, that was actually part of the problem. And up until that point, he was saying, no, not a problem at all. And now <laughs> he's saying this, it was, it was difficult Let's to Let's be very to clear about it. this. He's very honest, though, isn't he? Uh, I mean, what he's, what he's always said. The Champions League is not over for Leicester. They're in the round of 16. The yeah, group they've got a stage got is a over. I know, I know. Yeah, I didn't know. I think he was actually... I mean, my experience anyway, he was actually pretty clear on the fact that they had to prioritise the Champions League because they might never be there again. And obviously, once they got through that, then they could really refocus again um, on on the league. But because we're going to get in trouble if we don't mention this, we should note that Otamendi, Fernandinho, and Aguero, three important yep. players that for Manchester City. That makes it worse. That makes it worse. There. Why on earth Danny Drinkwater wasn't there o- for Leicester. My place so so flamboyantly openly with disregard to the strengths of your opposition when your two most significant players are missing that that to me is almost worse than anything else all right anybody want to argue that Leicester can qualify for the Europa League no no I'll, no? I'll argue they will lose at Bournemouth next in, in <laughs> lose at Bournemouth oh win. you crazy kidder you see you see. Bournemouth, no, we lost to Burnley. Come on. Strength in, they're, they're, they've got a good squad, less, they've got good players. I think drink water. Wait, can, can we show some love for Islam Slimani? I think Anybody? a terrible finisher, great at holding the ball up and setting up goals. But <laughs> I, his game was lost by Pep, not won by Leicester. three times. Yeah. That's fast, Julian. Yeah. I'm sorry. And also, I I'm think uh, what I like is actually the transition to go from Okazaki to and Vardy to Slimani and Vardy because obviously Okazaki and Slimani are two completely different players. And I think that's something that they can work on. And and over the next two or three months, I think he's going to try to, depending on the opposition, go and, and tailor his front three. I think he loves having those those very different options, very different combinations, which perhaps he didn't have last season. The Game Podcast is brought to you in part by FanDuel. Uh, FanDuel is one-day fantasy football. It's not like those uh, fantasy football leagues where nerdy guys would sign up with their friends and sit there all week long, or, or sorry, all season long, rather. Uh, it only lasts a day, so if you choose a bunch of bad players, you're not stuck with them. You can uh, uh, go and change them, and uh, you can actually go and make some money off this as well. The top uh, managers earned money. Uh, I wasn't one, but it's a fun way to go and do this. You can make some money as well. It's not annoying, like, in my opinion, some of those other fantasy football games. And if you're into this, if you're into the analytics side, if you've played fantasy football before, you know it's all heavily loaded towards attacking players and players who score goals and whatever. Well, they actually rate the guys who maybe don't score goals, but are actually pretty good and have an impact. And you can sign up with the promo code the game. It's, it's fanduel.co.uk. And uh, if you use the promo code in the game, then FanDuel will return your entry fee as a free credit of up to £10 if you don't win cash in your first contest. Now, obviously, I hope you all do win cash in your first uh, contest. This is only available in the UK and you have to be over 18. Please pay responsibly and obviously terms apply. You can find out more. Go to fanduel.co.uk and the promo code is the game. All right, moving on to Old Trafford. It's Manchester United and it's Tottenham. And my mind goes back to what might have been and and that 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 lunch with uh, with Pochettino and and Sir Alex, the one where they didn't discuss Manchester United at all. Anyway, I was kind of excited because Henrik Mkhitaryan started and played exceptionally well. Mourinho said he was man of the match, um, and Mourinho's right. Scully, the last couple of 
games with all when when United were getting all these home draws. I was saying, but actually, they're playing really well. And for once, Mourinho's right. They actually are unlucky. And I was getting slaughtered. I was being called a closet United fan and all these terrible things. They're good, right? Are you excited? This is this is this is much better. This is the best football they've played since Ferguson left, really. Uh, And even in Ferguson's last year, the football wasn't great. It's exciting. It's attacking. Got a few faults. I think their ball. um, You know, we we talk about Pep. I think they need their ball retention. Certainly at the back, needs to be a lot, lot better. They make a lot of mistakes. A lot of transition where they give the ball away, and you can see why they've conceded goals. I think Pogba's playing very, very well. I think if you look at his his game yesterday, I thought he was outstanding yesterday. I thought he was better. I thought he was man of the match yesterday. Um, Don't contradict Mourinho, please. But go ahead. And they are probably if you look at teams at the moment. Watch Liverpool yesterday. Okay, Man City. You know, Arsenal are doing well. Probably United and Arsenal are the two best teams in the league at the moment for me. Julian, Ooh. are you are you as bullish about United? I thought it was good. Are they one of the two best teams in the league? I don't understand why. Yesterday, sorry, yesterday they played better than what they have done yesterday in the draws. You know, they just they just Mm. struggle to. They just need one or two key areas. They're also playing a better opponent in Tottenham, right? Yeah. Um, But are you you guys excited about United? I am. I am. It's great. And don't don't forget that on this same podcast, I I thought I tipped them to win the league. So I, I, I thought they had that in them. I just don't know why it took so long from Mourinho again to, and I know we say the same thing every week almost, but to work out that three in midfield, it was so obvious from the start that Herrera, Carrick and Pogba was the right combination in that midfield. Don't know why it took him so long. And again with Mkhitaryan, why it's only mid-December, early December, that he's played a bit more and suddenly everybody said, oh yeah, wow, wow, the guy is good. Come on, no. Yesterday I heard on the television, oh, Mourinho managed him so well. That was so good from Mourinho, the way he What? It's the 11th of December. He should have been playing from the start of the season. Maybe not the first few games, okay. But don't tell me that mid-December he was managed well by Mourinho for being good now. Part of the reason it's a big call come to on. come straight in and think to Rooney, right, you're a club legend, you played it. you're not starting, he's starting in front of you without proving himself. To be fair to him at the beginning, to Rooney either. He, he had injuries as well. Yeah, um, he had but some of them of this Man City, he was nowhere near what he's playing like at the <laughs> but, yeah but no one was <laughs> that's what he just him that's what he was made to play when he was injured in my opinion yeah, but hey as well. uh, which then aggra- aggravated things and well, maybe we'll never know who's responsible for that but Alison are we maybe is another reason why he was out was the fact that Juan Mata was actually playing really well and it's actually difficult to play Mata and Mkhitaryan and Ibrahimovic in the same team possibly possibly I think I think Mourinho is struggle to work out what he has at his disposal and the best way to utilize it it's 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 been up until this point i feel a sort of on an experiment per match and it hasn't always worked and that's created tension it only only when you get the formula right and they played really well against spurs and they look like a team and i really like their um they look like a unit. They look they, every player apart from Darmy and they look like everyone had faith in everybody else did you pick on the Italians? Pick on the Italian you always guy. Pick on the Italian. I, 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 I was a big, I was a big fan of his. Actually, the first time I saw him, I thought he looked really, really. Know, he tricked all of you. He was didn't a great you? signing, but um, nerves. But what? But then you could turn it around and say, well, the fact that that they did have a weak link, and it wasn't just Mourinho screaming; it was the players on the pitch noticing there was um, uh, a weakness and, and 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 moving over to to help him out. I think Pogba. Be positioned himself a few times. Um, it was just I liked I liked I liked the way it didn't make them. They're, they're in, at the start of the season, that would that might have made them become quite brittle and lacking lacking self belief. But they just they 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 had ownership of the match. They they were able to absorb a, mis- a, a, a potential error. And I think this is the first time we've seen a sort of symbiosis between the, the, the manager's type of personality and on the pitch as well. There was there was belief in what they were doing. Uh, people weren't getting in other people's way. Um, it, it felt very well balanced. Um, and it, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know when you're watching a match and you know what the outcome's going to be? Because the, the, you just feel it. Often I've watched United yeah. and I thought, oh, something's going to go wrong here. Didn't feel that at all. Even, even, when though, even though Spurs, came on. even though Spurs, right. even though Spurs um, are a, a, right, an excellent let's, team. Let's move on. Let's talk about Spurs, excellent team. Were they excellent on Sunday? No. no. Okay, so they're not excellent. They were not they excellent. They were not that. They, they were disappointing. The way Kane loses the ball on the goal is just come on, man. The pass is a two-yard pass. Every my, my seven-year-old son could do that pass. So what? What was the problem here? Was it 
United. I mean, I, I thought Rojo and, and Jones actually played well. But then again, it looked to me like Spurs really had nothing in the final four, in the final third. Well, what's the problem? I think they rely a lot on Harry Kane, don't they? And does he get a lot of support? Ericsson doesn't seem to be the player that he he, he once was. He's played good the last couple of games. You can't right, well, go like Ericsson. No, 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 no. Talking about the, the here and now moment. Talking about yesterday's game, aren't we? Well, you said the last couple of games. He was well, very I'm just good saying he's, he's not playing well. Well, yesterday, I don't think he impacted the game at all. And I think he becomes too isolated, Harry Kane, where you need... Like Ibrahimovic now, you know, Mkhitaryan's getting up to him, he's getting beyond it. I don't really see that for Spurs. And if you're a player like Harry Kane, you need someone running past you that just makes Phil Jones and Rocco just drop off a little bit and give them something else to think about. I think what they need is a Coco Lamela back, yeah. but hey, that, that's, that just means... No, that's, that's true, they're missing him big time. There's no reason to worry about Pochettino, but I'm just wondering, right? If you were Poch and, you know, you have ambitions and, and whatever else, the reality is you look around and... Are you, given the, the media, not just the we say the media, but it's not the media. It's, it's people in football. It's club executives and directors of football and people who go and hire people at football clubs. They're going to have a knee jerk where they're going to say, oh, look, you were second in the Premier League and on the verge of winning it in April. And then the following year, you finished fifth or sixth and you got knocked out of the Champions League group stage. Ergo, you must be rubbish and we don't want you and ha, ha, ha. Levy, you're stuck with him and you have a stupid five-and-a-half-year contract you gave him. I mean, do you think they're going to have that reaction? And, and would that actually be a little bit unfair on Pochettino? I think it would be unfair. He's an incredibly impressive person to speak to and watch in action. And the way he... I think he's doing as well as he can with the resources he's got. The way he brings through young players is exemplary. And he picks the right ones to bring through. And they... They don't let him down. The Harry Winks. I, mean, I think we've already Harry forgotten Winks. that Harry Winks was 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 nobody <laughs> six weeks ago. It, he knows who to bring through. It, he's good at. Um, he's 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 good okay, at chopping no, players sorry, that don't sorry, let him down. You're, you're he's, telling me all got, these reasons why he's good, but what I'm saying is, but what he's I'm more good. interested in but is it him, what, sorry, a, but, is it him bringing a young player no, no, or but, somebody but underneath. Leaving him. that to one side, I, I don't want to debate whether he's good or not. I'd like to debate here. Like what I want to get from you is. Should he the lose world Spurs of, now? No, no. The, what, what the world of football is like where people just look at results and league tables. And I, I mean, I think he's very good too. And I think he's destined for bigger things. But are they just going to, at the end of the season, because realistically it's difficult to see Spurs bettering their league table from last year. And realistically, you know, and obviously they've done, they were knocked out in the freaking Champions League group stage, partly because of decisions that Pochettino made. So... Is that, in some ways, is that going to hurt his stock? Is Are people going to look at it and, you know, not see what perhaps you and I see in him? Um, po- well, possibly. If, they, if they're if they knocked out round 32 in the Europa League, don't do much in the domestic cups and finish outside the top four, then I think uh, even I might have to readdress my opinion of him because the one weakness I do think he has is, is juggling and that rotation right. for the... So the way he... And last season as well, the way he jumps from Champions League to Premier League, he do, he doesn't quite integrate the teams properly. Right. Not sure about Sissoko and Janssen either, but that's um, it. I think that, if he wants, if if he's destined to make a thing, like you said, and I believe and I agree with you, especially if he comes to PSG, I'm only kidding. Before you send a lot of abuse, <laughs> he would have to sort out his recruitment because well, that's the one thing. And on that, this summer, that's the interesting thing is because he was given absolute power, Fergie's power at the club. Yeah. He got rid, yeah. you know. Whether directly, thing. one of the most important things right. being a manager, and it's one of the worst things you can do to a manager because they're not people who buy and sell players; they're they, managers. They, they, they don't watch but, the games at the scouts. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Watch your own team every week. So, and that's you end up with Jansen and Sissoko, and you miss out on targets. And, and Baldini's gone, and Mitchell's gone, and then you realize that a lot of the better players were brought in by other people. So he has Sissoko to sort this out. Yesterday, it's not the f- no, come on. They paid thirty million pounds for this guy. He pushes the ball and run, and I he, see him with France every time. And sometimes it works, but most time just right. pushing and running is enough of your anti-French bias. Let's move on to our debate this week. Our debate this week is inspired by Matthew Syed's column, where all right, he looks at the fact uh, he looks on the back of the football leaks revelations, uh, and looks at the fact that a number. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. 
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Of top footballers in the Premier League and elsewhere seem to have constructed these very elaborate uh, tax avoidance schemes. You know, it's very curious, actually. I'm looking at the column now, and the photograph in my paper is different from the photograph in Allison's paper. Yeah, even though, as well. Interesting. I have a picture of Pogba with Mourinho, and Allison only has a picture of Mourinho. Let's make it very clear. Pogba is not accused of any wrongdoings. Pogba does not have overseas companies that were involved in football league. So the, the central crux of, of Matthew's argument is that we shouldn't tax footballers too much in the sense that I think Matthew's slightly supply side, or that we would say that there's a danger that if you tax people too much, uh, they'll stop producing. And he mentions his friend James Dyson. You do start Googling about the Dyson cleaners as well and those hand sanitizer things. Anyway, he, he makes a point, which I think is a very valid point, but he extends it to football and he basically says, if we tax footballers too much, obviously, uh, we're going to run into issues. And But ultimately, he talks about, he, he takes it on to what he calls the uh, offshore racket, which is basically a whole series of of vehicles that you can use to go and shelter uh, money uh, and income from from the tax man or, or minimize your tax bill. This is called tax avoidance. Now, I don't think anybody wants to go and debate the fact that people should be allowed to shelter money. What I want to throw out there is basically my view that I think tax shelters should only exist if they provide an additional good to society or to the tax man. So in other words, if I want to give SCOE a tax break, because he's used his mortgage, first-time mortgage, to go and buy a house, that's fine because it's the right to not use going now. I'm imagining young Scully. Young question. Could. Yeah. Do you do an ISA? Do I do an ISA? Yeah. yeah. All right. Is that, is that tax avoidance? No, but, uh, but that, no? that's... Okay, my ISA is a perfect example, right? Yeah. I, if you have an ISA, you're allowed to put away, I think, up to £15,000 um, a year, and that's tax-free. And... The idea behind it is the government wants people to and to encourage savings and encourage people to build equity. So that we're not going to tax these money that you put away because there's a general benefit to the country. Now, if the government also says you can set up these companies offshore and have them, you know, anonymously based, so it's difficult to figure out who the beneficial owner and whatever else, and you, elaborate, you create this elaborate scheme so you can make, you know, fifty million and we only tax you on three million, and the money never actually comes into the country. I'm not sure that that's necessarily good for the country, even if it's legal. But it strikes me that this debate should be something that the government and the people who make tax policy should be pursuing. Am I right, going? So to bring this back into a football sphere and try not to bore anybody, do we think any less of people who go and hire expensive tax lawyers and accountants to put their money offshore in a legal form of tax avoidance? Let's be clear, none of these people have been charged uh, at this stage. Do we think less of them? Do, do, we, think, do we think they're somehow greedy? If, if, if I'm Mourinho and let's say I make 20 million pounds a year, hypothetically, Jose, and instead of paying 9 million pounds a year in tax, which is what you would think you'd be paying, I end up only paying 5 million pounds in tax because I've used these structures. Am I being greedy? Am I being unkind? Does it somehow hurt my image or do people not really care? Yeah, I think people do care because the vast majority of people struggle with the income they get and the vast majority of people pay the appropriate tax and to know that you're that privileged and earn that much money and yet somehow you get the extra bonus of the perk of not paying as much tax proportionally as the person who's struggling it seems immoral doesn't it but I don't think this is a football issue what it is is it's a famous person issue we don't like famous people who we think have a wonderful life Oh, and they get a lot of money too. They're, it's just, it's just, it's the easiest people to investigate because it's, it's just set up as the perfect story. People who are glamorous and famous and 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 have these lives we can most of us can even dream about. We want to see a flaw, and the flaw in them is that is their greed. It's probably not quite as simple as that. And what it is is they have because they have so much money, they have tax advisors and accountants 
who tell them this is what you should be doing and you don't give it a lot of thought you say okay I'll do what you tell me to do and that's what most footballers will tell you when they've made a big mistake with their money usually to their own detriment rather than the but boosting their coffers they'll say oh I was just advised to do it well, the obvious thing to do if somebody advises you to do something, Julian, like yep. like when you told me about how there was a way to be taxed on lower VAT and whatever, when we yep. had that discussion. That's legal. Well, you want to go to your tax advisor and be like, okay, so you're suggesting I do this. Is it legal? Yeah. That's the question you should be, will it going to get in trouble? Will it damage my reputation. my image and my, my reputation? Mm. There's stuff that's legal out there. I mean, like, as I said, we're, we're taping this from the city of London, right? I hate to break the news to you people, but the reason there are so many dubious, wealthy people living in London is because you're kind of like a giant offshore <laughs> entity, right? If you're very, very rich. If you're a normal person, no. But if you're extremely wealthy, that's basically what you are. You're a giganto tax haven, right? Non-dom and all that. And you know what? All the Ireland, the Celtic tiger and stuff, kind of the same thing luxembourg oh don't ask don't tell oh yeah we'll give you massive tax break put your uh, uh put your european headquarters here in freaking luxembourg even though we're a little insignificant place that don't produce anything we'll just do it so you can hide your profits here you're talking from that's what we're talking about what? well yeah i'm talking from having read the newspapers in the last oh. five years that's the reality of it and this is something i think that goes way beyond football there's, um, there's also some players very rich with a lot of money who didn't do it, who refused to do it, who were advised to do it and yet didn't want to do so it. So these are the good there's, guys. There's Tell good us, ones. give us an angel no, 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 list. No, 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 without saying players. names, but some, some, you know, some refuse to do it. And some people not, enjoy paying taxes because they no, see no, it as... No, it's not that. But Donald they, Trump you know, would they say they're stupid. They didn't want to do it. Yeah, maybe, but they didn't want to, right. to do it. Anyway. I think this is enough tax discussion, um, hopefully for the year. Before we move on to quick hits, uh, I want to uh, address something from last week. We were discussing... Uh, Alan Pardew and his and his comments last week in a quick hit. So in that a was quick really hit, quick. Com- yes. And as part of your answer, um, I think Julian, you may have referred to the Palace Chairman uh, Steve Parrish as quote rubbish. Indeed. Now, Steve Parrish uh, then uh, went and uh, somebody brought this to his attention because I'm sure he doesn't listen to the game podcast. He has more important things to do, and he came back and decided to have a go at me too. Yes, because they're like, oh, well, you know, I've written four football books and Julian is a football expert and, you know, I've read their bios, ha, ha, ha. Well, a couple of things here. And I think this is, this is wherever, I don't want to get in Paris too much, but maybe we can. But, and I think people need to remember this with the media. When people do their job, I can speak for myself, I think I can speak for Julian here. When we form an opinion about these people, like Steve Parrish or Alan Pardew or Sir Alex Ferguson or whomever, it's not just based on sitting in a basement with the internet. I can speak for myself. I, in Palace's case, I've spoken to players and former players. There's a former player right here, actually, sitting a few feet away. Um, I've spoken to some of the people around Steve Parrish who still work for him. I've spoken to some of the people who worked for him before. Palace have a bunch of owners. You might see a link there as well. We've spoken to agents who've done business with them. I've spoken to other club owners. I've spoken to club executives. We base our opinion on this. At least I do, speaking for myself. I do too. What, yeah, what I don't appreciate is people just saying, well, it's all rubbish. Hey, you know what? I'm not, you know, if, if I had an axe to grind, it certainly wouldn't be against Steve Parrish. Since my thoughts on Parrish were solicited, um, and I'll let you give <laughs> I think from the impression that I have made, that, that, that I've put together from speaking to people around him, is that number one, he's honest, uh, which makes him better than a number of Premier League owners and o- owners of football clubs. How competent he is, opinion is divided. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but there are some people who I really respect who absolutely rave about him. There are other people who think that he's made some big mistakes and refuses to recognize them or in other cases um, stays too loyal to the wrong people for too long. For me personally speaking, and I think these are all factual things, in he made three big calls. Um, and leaving aside the, the Pardew issue, we'll, we'll see how that works out. But actually, no, let's include that too. You chose to hire somebody who has a lot of baggage and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, So that is a decision that you make. And Maybe Pardew will lead you to the promised land. Maybe he won't. But you've chosen to do that. 
previous previous situations, right? Just going, just working backwards. You had the, the, the Tony Pulis affair. Now, I've had people on Twitter telling me, oh, but it worked out great for Palace. You know what? Yes, you won the court case. It doesn't mean that he knew ahead of time that they were going to win the court case. Was it part of his plan to go and spend an entire summer arguing with Pulis over who they were going to sign? Was it part of his plan to have Pulis walk out uh, on the eve of the season? I'm not saying Pulis was right. I, I, I thought Pulis's behavior was reprehensible, personally. And I think Palace got screwed over by Pulis. To me, though, the guy who appointed him, you know, that was a flaw in judgment at the time. And we all make mistakes, and that's fine. Uh, I think he also made a mistake, but he recognizes too, in bringing Warnock back. The Warnock punch-in story, which I don't even know if we're allowed to, I think we are allowed to mention yeah, yeah, something about it, yeah, yeah, right? You knew that this was out there. Yeah. You had Warnock before. You knew a lot of things there. And I'm not saying one guy's good, one guy's bad, but why bring controversy into your club, right? Well, shouldn't you be thinking in terms of stability? And the last example is, is the Ian Moody thing. Now, I don't think Ian Moody is a bad person. I, I, I've met the guy. But you hired somebody who you knew left his previous club under a cloud. And more importantly, you knew the previous club had, in Vincent Tan, yeah. a hugely vindictive owner who had hired, hired a law firm, hired a PR firm to really chase Ian Moody to the ends of the earth. You didn't think this might be a distraction in him doing his job at Crystal Palace, leaving aside all the stuff that came out after so I think these are situations where the guy made a mistake. People make mistakes. It's okay. But I, I think, you know, we need to be a little bit balanced in, in the way in, in the way we look at things. And and this idea of from his end just saying like, oh, what do they know? You know, it's fine. What do they know? Maybe part of the problem is if you talk to a different set of people or at least listen to different opinions, then you can make up your own mind. Julian, you care to retract just, your comment you about him being perfectly. rubbish? You should have been a lawyer as well. You wouldn't have made more money, by the way. Yeah, probably. That was well, where perfect. Where would he have put his money? <laughs> In Luxembourg, clearly. This is what he said. It's already there, anyway. Can I just make a point about Steve? I don't know. I know you, know, well you, you know him yeah, much I, better I than I do. to say hello to, and I can only judge him. He is a good guy. He's been very friendly. I think he's done a very, very good job at Crystal Palace from where he took over to where Crystal Palace are now. It's not only just him, there's a yeah. lot of other people Let's make involved. this very clear about, about when he took over Crystal Palace. The club was in danger of going under. Yeah. In very real danger yeah. of going under. He brought in a consortium of other peop wealthy people, some of them much wealthier people. He brought them in. And I think for that, he's owed a debt of gratitude. Like I said, if you look where, where, where he started out to where they are now... I think that is the blueprint almost for every mid-sized club which Crystal Palace are and there's a whole list of clubs in the championship now that will be looking and thinking that is exactly what we're trying to follow is what is what Steve's done and I think he, he will take them on I think he needed investment which he's done with the, the Americans we'll have to wait and see what happens there but um, we'll have to wait and see who actually I, I think you I think you me personally I think you're looking too much into it I think you know everyone's entitled to their opinion etc etc I'm sure if Steve was here now it would be water off a duck's back to him he is, it isn't too dreadful if you're called rubbish on a podcast to get in touch and say, what do you know? It's retaliation. It's fine. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind the retaliation. But then, of course, when you go and you subtag people, then you get a whole bunch of people popping up on Twitter. Yeah. Now, Julian's kept his counsel. I tried to address it when I could. <laughs> but it also kind of bugs me, this, this, this kind of thing like, oh, you don't know anything. You know, I mean, I'm sorry. I called you an expert. What? No, he called him an expert. He didn't even have the courtesy of calling me an expert. <laughs> All right, time now for some quick hits. Now, again, to explain the concept, regular listeners will know this. Um, I will ask a question. You have 20 seconds to answer. After 20 seconds, you will hear this sound. And after 25 seconds, you will hear this sound. And if you keep talking at that point, Allison, I will shout over you in a bullying, loud voice. Chelsea making nine wins in a row, huffing and puffing and willing their way past West Brom with a tremendous goal by Diego Costa. Uh, Scoey, can you spot any weaknesses in this Chelsea team? I'm sure you can. Um, struggle to do it. Nine in a, nine in a row is, uh, in a very, very tough league, is a staggering um, run of results. Uh, just looking at the next three. Sunderland away, Palace away, Bournemouth at home. Could be 12 wins out of 12. The record, of course, stands at 14 wins. Remember? I bet you remember from last week. Oh yes. Yeah. If if they if they win those three games, so one is already won. So the next two, you buy me lunch, and if they don't, then I buy you lunch. 
Not just me lunch. You buy well, the entire podcast yeah, crew and up to 100 selected listeners lunch. Well, but if I win, only you buy me lunch. No, no, I want, I want a big sort of like Christmas present from yeah, we'll everybody. We'll take it out of Scoey's fee. Yeah. Um, Greg's, here we come. Poor Loris Carius gets dragged over the coals and makes the mistake of angering one of the Nevilles uh, with the other Neville backing up from behind. To be fair, though, he wasn't particularly good in Liverpool's 2-2 draw with West Ham, was he, Allison? And feel free to opine as well about whether he's, when he says he doesn't care what Gary Neville says, whether he's just showing confidence and self-assurance or whether he should just keep his mouth shut. Well, he's been fairly um, cocky since he was signed. and Cocky uh, carious, that's what they yeah, call him indeed. around Melbourne. Uh, yeah, uh, I, am, I am worried. I am worried because every time I watch almost any other team in the Premier League, Tom Heaton and uh, there are a lot of really good goalkeepers at clubs that are not trying to win the Premier League and I'm thinking why isn't one of them at Liverpool Uh, and is this going to be Klopp's Achilles heel that he sticks by a keeper he thinks will be good but isn't good enough in time Arsenal come from behind to beat Stoke and Theo Walcott and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain both perform well Julian, should we be taking them seriously now? I don't mean Arsenal, because we are taking them seriously. I mean those two guys. Yeah, well, yeah. What were you done before? Well, no, because they yeah. were generally always injured, or like <laughs> right. one of them was upset, ah, one of the centre-forward. I, I think Walcott has the best first start, like first six months of the season or five months of the season for a very long time. And and I think just for that, we need to take him seriously. And and I think Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, for one, seems to have really matured and understood that he had to do a bit more than again just just run fast and 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 and, and try to to cross the ball and I think he's done that he, he, I think he's added a lot to his game Oxford Chamberlain which is very interesting because he's someone who has huge talent and is very versatile if he wants to if he wants him to be and I think that's very good for the future for Arsenal Hull and Crystal Palace draw 3-3 in the usual car crash game um but Robert Snodgrass makes headlines for the wrong reasons Scoey, you played the game. I remember he was a similar sort of player uh, as a Robert Snodgrass, albeit less cheaty. Can you explain his mindset and what happened and his tweet afterwards? Yeah, very simple. He's trying to win his side a penalty to win the game. Is it cheating? I suppose it is. Is it, you know, how, how far do you go into this cheating? If you, the ball comes off you and you put your arm up and say, that's our throw in referee, not there, you know, is that cheating? It's, if you know, then it is cheating. Well, it's creeping into our game. You can't just blame the foreigners because you know what? Yeah. <laughs> the last like five blame, incidents. Blame one person or one. Franny Lee, I know, no, 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 I know. No. It's been a long time. If you look now, if you look at the the Manchester United uh, Tottenham game yesterday, was an example where Pogba gets uh, Dembele gets a wrong side of Pogba, a slightest touch. Pogba knows if he goes down, referee give a free kick. All of a sudden now, any slight touch, any and the referee gives a free kick. So it's just going to encourage people to go down easily. Yeah, but you're going to blame the referees. Yeah, exactly. And that is a simple thing well, that's coming why to don't our you, game. Well, maybe you don't go and put your hands on another man. I mean, it's a bit odd, isn't it? Unless you're well in the appropriate context. But, but and also, as I recall, sport. Pogba got straight back up, right? This time? You've been awkward now. Any slight touch, any tiny bit of contact in this day and age, you go down, react, free kick. And it's killed. Then, point, there was no touch on Snowgrass, was it? I can't from, from <laughs> No, there was no touch. So you know that's even I mean? worse. You know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? It's even worse than if there's no touch. If there's, there's a touch, you could... touch. And if you come out listen to what the lad okay, said, no. I'll touch if I expect the touch. But yeah, what, what does that mean, I expect the touch? No, 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 no. But here's the thing, right? So he goes down like that. You expect the touch. You know the referee's awarded a penalty. Even if you didn't do it on purpose, you know that you've just conned the referee. I remember somebody years ago, I think it was Robbie Fowler, if I'm not mistaken, but of course he's God, whereas Snodgrass will only ever be able to worship God, coming out and saying, you know what? There was no foul there, right? So I've been asking you, and I know Snodgrass... And the referee said after that game, I know there was no foul, but you had to dive over him, over Dave Seaman, because he was coming out. If you didn't dive over it, he would have caught you. The mighty Stefano Okaka scores a goal of the season contender. Then he scores another one, too. And Watford beat up Everton 3-2. Allison, your mate Ronald Koeman, has won just once since the middle of September and somehow, is weirdly, is still in the top 10. Is your faith wavering a little bit? I think there's a problem with disciples of Cruyff this weekend in that they're, they're very um, dogmatic and they think their way is right. I think... Cumin probably has to um, be a bit more realistic about what he's inherited and their fitness levels and hopefully they'll give him longer term to sort it out. I think they were playing on adrenaline because he is an inspirational manager 
And now they're getting a bit tired. Yeah. I, did you call Kuhn a disciple of, of Christ? Christ? It's kind of a loose definition there, right? There's a, the Guardiola and um, Guardiola and Kuhn are they have this thing. They have this thing where they put into practice the things that Cruyff taught them. Like what? Like lump it? Like I don't know. I'm just thinking. No, no. But... More, more about more about being being strong in your philosophy and always expecting more from every player, even if they're the best player at the club. So the way oh, that so the, way that Koeman, the way that Kuman has dealt with Ross Barkley is the way that same way as Pep Guardiola de- dealt with Aguero when he came in. You know, two. Well, they're, they're not the same level of player at all but two players who are talented but both managers said well, we were told we were told we could be better so we're going to tell you you can be better because that's what Cruyff did Pep Guardiola says he's only did what he did because Cruyff made him Whatever, whenever he did played well Cruyff would say I think he could play better Okay, so you're talking about that more than the tactical side. Yeah. Fine. Swansea get their second win under Uncle Bob, uh, beating up Sunderland 3-0. Julian, uh, their other win was the freak show against Palace, so that doesn't really count. Was this one more convincing against a real you know, relegation contender? Yeah, it was a bit more convincing, but when you've got Fernando Llorente, who's a, a poor version of James Coolcroft, obviously, but if you play on his strength up front, obviously he's gonna, the guy's going to score you goals, and if you put... Gilfie Sigurdsson in his right position just behind a striker again he's going to be very good so I'm glad Uncle Bob after a shaky start remember we said to him Uncle Bob listen maybe you should you know you should think about this a bit more and put players in the right position and encourage them to defend a bit more and to fight a bit more and that's what they did and, I, and I'm glad they won at the weekend I thought it was a good win Are they staying up? I hope so I hope so they can they definitely can they've got enough talent for that Right got one for you we were all excited about RB Leipzig being top of the Bundesliga. They were only one of three undefeated teams in Europe so far, and they were playing Ingolstadt, who were dead last. Surely they didn't lose, did they? Well, usually you ask me about that, and you don't want to talk about Paris Saint-Germain and Nice, which I thought would have been a top-of-the-table no. clash in uh, <laughs> No? Anyway, um, yeah, it, it's remarkable. And the, the, the subtext, of course, was that uh, Ingolstadt, Ingolstadt hadn't won since last April. And, of course, uh, their manager last year, Hasenhutl, is now the Leipzig manager. But, no, guess what? They lost. And they got all nervy and, and freaked out in the second half. I mean, they probably did enough to win, but they gave up a goal early on. And then um, and you wonder if at some point people have kind of figured out the way Leipzig mm-hmm. play or whether this is just a blip. But uh, really, it's a second straight so-so performance from them and a bad result uh, after the shocking game. So, uh, and with Bayern winning... You wonder, 5-0, I think it was, against Wolfsburg. You wonder if the screws are turning back the other way. PSG in this game was a great game as well. And it's very disappointing that we didn't call anyone rubbish. And I'm, I'm looking at you, Alison and James. We didn't call anyone rubbish in the quick hits, which is very disappointing. I think you are designated rubbish. Not <laughs> all right, OK, next week. All right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my guests today, Julian Lawrence, Alison Rudd, and James Scowcroft. Um, remember, you can sign up for The Times. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search The Times online. And you know what? We ask you to search and actually go and seek us out because we want intelligent readers who are able to do that. Uh, you can press that subscribe button to our podcast wherever you choose to download your podcast and leave a review on iTunes. If you're listening on an Apple device, please only leave nice reviews. Um, we're going to be back next week and maybe Steve Parrish will make an appearance. Uh, Till next week, bye-bye. The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.